we probably could do, we probably know and could do a whole lot more of choir songs than we realize because they have a way of getting in our minds and hearts. And that's the, the purpose of Christian music that honors the Lord. It gets in our minds and our hearts and we can call on it um, and rehearse it and sing it. Uh, what a blessing. Galatians chapter 5 in your Bibles. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for that song. and We thank you that um, we pray that's the desire of our heart. Give me Jesus. We don't need anything else when we rise. We don't need anything else when we're alone. We don't know, need anything else in the circumstances of life. We don't need anything else when we come to die except the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he's designed it that way. That he, his grace is sufficient for us. We pray that you would help us to see something of his glories tonight. In the book that is his mind, in the book that he has written and given to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we moved into this fifth chapter. And we looked at this first verse. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And we looked at these words, Christ hath made us free. And the order of these words and the importance of them took us back to John chapter 8. And we want to turn back there again tonight, if you will. To John chapter 8. John chapter 8 and verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. If ye continue in my word. Then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. You cannot have freedom without truth. You cannot have freedom without the one who is the truth. The Lord Jesus Christ. He said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the truth. You cannot have freedom without the word of God. We mentioned last week in John 17 and verse 17. The Lord Jesus his prayer to his Father. He says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so Jesus Christ, the word living is the truth. And his word, the word of God, the written word is the truth. And you cannot have freedom without truth. You cannot have freedom without God and his word. We noted last week, that the first word of this 32nd verse is a very important word. It's the word and. That word takes what is said in verse 31 and brings it into verse 32. And so what we have is this message. If ye continue in my word, my word that is truth, 
my word, the scriptures that testify of me, my word, and all the scriptures where you find the things concerning me, the one who is the truth. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And not only are you my disciples indeed, but if you continue in my word, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Last week we were talking about the other side of that statement, which is true. If you do not continue in my word, then you will not know the truth, and you will not be free. And if you do not know the truth, then all that is left are lies from the father of lies. We see him here in verse 44. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth, deceiveth the whole world. That is what has happened, and it is what is happening in this country. Last week, we saw that because we have not continued in the Word of God, in the Word of Genesis 8.22, while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter shall not cease. Because we've not continued in that verse, because we've not continued in Jeremiah 5.22, Fear ye not me, saith the Lord. Will ye not tremble at my presence, which have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by perpetual decree, that it cannot pass it. And though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail. Though they roar, yet can they not pass over. Because we've not continued in the word of God, this nation has believed a lie. The lie of climate change. The lie that we're in some sort of climate emergency. And this lie is driving, it is dictating our national policy. And it's a policy of tyranny. It's a policy of authoritarianism that is already dictating and controlling many aspects of our lives. From our light bulbs, to our stoves, to our hot water heaters, you want a Renai water heater, you better get one. Uh, one of these tankless water heaters. The Biden administration is about to put some rules in effect that will basically, to a great degree, eliminate those. Our toilets are controlled. Our cars are controlled. All by this lie. It's all by this <clears throat> Science falsely so-called. And the purpose is to drive the totalitarian agenda of the left. I was reading something on this subject of climate change this week that demonstrates again how we've not continued in the Word of God. And so we don't know the truth that's here in this book. An article uh, appeared in the Epic Times, and the headline of the story says, Nobel winner refuses climate change narrative, points out ignored factor. The Nobel Prize winner is physicist John Klausner, 
He won the Nobel Prize for physics in 2022 for his contributions to quantum mechanics. And so this guy, as my wife likes to say, has a noodle out to Texas. He's a smart man. Mr. Klausner recently joined more than 1,600 other scientists in signing the World Climate Declaration, which states that there is no climate emergency. This World Climate Declaration emphasizes the problems of the current climate models. And those models, the problem with them is they overemphasize the effects of greenhouse gases and particularly carbon dioxide. And I want to remind you of something that you already know. It's something that we learned in fifth grade science class. And that is that carbon dioxide has never been a pollutant. You and I and all the animals around us, every time we exhale, we are exhaling carbon dioxide. And that's wonderful. That's wonderful because all of the plants... The trees and the grass, all of the green plants around us take in all this carbon dioxide. And through the process of photosynthesis, they take that carbon dioxide and produce oxygen, which they give off into the atmosphere. Isn't God smart? Isn't he smart? No wonder Isaac Watts wrote that Wonderful song. I think it's my favorite song. I sing the mighty power of God. And so carbon dioxide is not a pollutant. It is, as the World Climate Declaration states, plant food. It is essential to all life on earth. Photosynthesis, they say, is a blessing. More CO2 is beneficial for nature. Greening the earth. Additional CO2 in the air has promoted growth in global plant biomass. It's also good for agriculture, increasing the yields of crops nationwide. Now, I want to read you something from uh, the little book. There's a number of them, Letting God Create Your Day. And it's reprinted in uh, a little book that I highly recommend to you. A closer look at the evidence. And this is what it says. Science is learning how plants are designed to regulate carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. First, when carbon dioxide levels go up, many plants increase their use of carbon dioxide, making more oxygen. Second, at higher carbon dioxide levels, plants tend to make tissue that doesn't decay as easily. This ties up the extra carbon for longer periods of time. Third, at higher carbon dioxide levels, plant tissues discourage insects from eating them, decreasing the re-release of the plant's carbon as carbon dioxide. Our Creator has built mechanisms into His creation that adjust to changing conditions and maintain a suitable habitat for human life. Amazing, isn't it? 
But back to, to the article on Mr. Klauser. He voiced his reservations about these current climate models and the quality of the research. And he believes that these that U.S. climate policies are misguided because they're being directed by false science. He believes that these prominent climate uh, reporting agencies, like the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, we'll refer to that going forward tonight as the IPCC, which is the United Nations body charged with assessing and measuring the science related to climate change. And, and there are others, and they put all of this emphasis on CO2, and they miss the mark. They miss the mark on something that Mr. Klauser believes is critically important. And that's clouds. Clouds. Barack Obama's science advisor, He's a man by the name of Steve Coonan. He noted the inconsistency of the IPCC's 40 computer models. By the way, all the hype and all of this consensus of science is based on models that are used to project what conditions will be in 30 or 40 or 50 years or even longer. And that's important to know because what the weather will be a week or, or two from now cannot, it can't even be accurately predicted. So how are these climate scientists with their computer models able to predict temperature and climate 100 years from now? Well, of course, the answer is they can't. Mr. Coonan suggests that these models lack a crucial piece of physics. And this is where physicist John Klausner comes in. He told the Epic Times, I believe I have the missing piece of the puzzle that has been left out in virtually all of these computer programs. And that is the effect of clouds. These theories that are based on climate change being man-made, focus on the effects of human-produced CO2, which we just uh, read about. It's compensated by the Creator in His creation. And, and when they do this, they overlook the significance, Mr. Klauser says, of cloud dynamics. In his movie... <laughs> An Inconvenient Truth, Al Gore insists on talking about a cloud-free earth. And this is the approach that so many of these climate science scientists take. But that's an artificial earth. That's an earth that is divorced from the real world. But that's what the IPCC, the UN agency, and others use for their models. A cloud-free earth. But Mr. Klauser says, the truth is, clouds play a significant role in regulating the earth's temperature. Serving as a cloud sunlight reflectivity 
thermostat that controls the climate, controls the temperature of the earth, and stabilizes it very powerfully and very dramatically. I want you to remember his words. Because they make up two-thirds of the earth's surface, oceans are instrumental in cloud formation. Now, I want to stop right there, and I want you to turn back to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Growing up, my pastor, or he was my pastor for a good number of the years when I was a preteen and teen. George Schultz was his name. He said something that I've never forgotten. He said that the Bible is not primarily a science book. I don't know that he originated that statement. I doubt seriously if he did. But he said that the Bible is not primarily a science book. We know that to be true. It's primarily a book about the gospel. It's primarily a book about God's plan to provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But Pastor Schultz said that even though the Bible is not primarily a science book, whenever it does talk about science, it is absolutely correct. Absolutely 100% accurate. And what we're going to read here in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 is an example. Look at verse 5. The sun also ariseth, And the sun goeth down, and hasteth to his place where he arose. Dr. Henry Morris, and you know, we should be so thankful for Dr. Henry Morris. The scientific knowledge that this man had. He points out that modern astronomers in their everyday speech talk about the sun rising and the sun setting. Now, You and I probably don't know a lot of professional astronomers. But we're familiar with meteorologists. We see them them on every newscast. And generally, the last thing they say at the end of their newscast is that sunrise tomorrow will be at 622. And sunset will be at 621. They don't say, now as the earth rotates around the sun and spins on its axis, we will come into the light of the sun at 6.30 tomorrow morning. And we will rotate back into darkness at 6.22 tomorrow evening. They don't say that, do they? What they're doing, as Dr. Morris says, is following the principle of relative motion. They are reporting from our perspective on earth, which is that the sun rises and the sun sets, which is exactly what Solomon is doing. And Dr. Morris's point is that is not unscientific with what Solomon says here in verse 5. Now look at verse 6. The wind goeth toward the south and turneth about, Unto the north, it whirleth about continually. 
And the wind returneth again according to his circuits. If you watch the weather, and they show the wind patterns that we will be moving into, the lines that represent the movement of the wind, they are exactly what God describes here. The wind goeth toward the south and turneth about toward the north. It, it whirleth about continually. And the wind returneth again according to his circuits. God says the wind has its circuits. And he revealed that to Solomon. And Solomon wrote it 2,900 years before the jet stream was discovered in the 1920s. That's how perfect this book is. Now look at verse 7. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return. Now I want to read you something from, it's from a book uh, that is called um, A study course in Christian evidences. And again, it's reprinted in this little book that you can get at the Christian bookstore, a closer look at the evidence. It says, The Mississippi River dumps an average of about 6 million gallons of water into the Gulf of Mexico every second. Now, I want you to think about that. 6 million gallons of water goes into the Gulf of Mexico every second. Where does all that water go? The vast surface of the ocean allows enormous amounts of evaporation to take place. High in the atmosphere, the visible, this invisible water vapor condenses into clouds which produce rain or snow which in turn fall onto land surfaces. The water then completes the circuit by flowing into rivers and then back into the ocean again. No one really understood or accepted the idea of the complete water cycle until the 16th and early 17th centuries. Pierre Perrault, Edme Marriott, and astronomer Edmund Haley all contributed valuable data to the concept of the water cycle. Yet Solomon and Isaiah both wrote about it in the Bible. This hydrologic cycle was quite accurately described in the Bible thousands of years, thousands of years, before it was understood scientifically. I've got to keep my sheet straight here. Now, in the light of that, I want to go back to what John Klausner says. Because they make up two-thirds of the Earth's surface, oceans are instrumental in cloud formation. Cloud formation is part of the hydrologic cycle that we just read about here in verse 7. But if you think about it, all three of these verses fit perfectly together. We have the sun in verse 5, which produces the evaporation, which draws the water into the atmosphere where this invisible water vapor that it's pulling up condenses into clouds. And then in verse 6, we have the wind 
that whirleth about and returneth again according to his circuits, like the jet stream, which comes in and moves the clouds over the land, um, and the water that the sun has evaporated from the oceans, the, the water vapor that has condensed in the clouds, which is, they're full of water, they produce rain and snow. The clouds and their precipitation are then moved by the wind over the earth where Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 55 and verse 10, the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud. And that which the earth brings forth and that which Buds, that's plants that absorb CO2 for its food and gives off, gives off oxygen so that we can live. The rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud. So in verse 5 we have the sun, in verse 6 we have the wind, and in verse 7 God tells us how all this fits together in the hydrologic cycle. But here's what is very important. This system is not just about water. Listen to physicist John Clauser again. Minimal clouds result in heightened sunlight exposure to the ocean, triggering increased evaporation and subsequent cloud formation resulting in more clouds. Abundant clouds reduce the sunlight, thus curbing evaporation rates and cloud formation, resulting in fewer clouds. This balance, listen to this, because this is the, this is the statement, and then the verses that we're going to see. This balance acts like a natural thermostat for the Earth's Temperature. This is a critical, true, scientific point. Mr. Clauser says that clouds are the balancer that act like a natural thermostat for the Earth's temperature. Now, with this in mind, I want you to turn back to the book of Job, which many believe, and, and I don't have any reason to doubt the scholars, that Job is the oldest book in the Bible. But whether that's right or wrong, it is a book that contains a treasure trove of scientific information, including about clouds. Look at Job chapter 26 and look at verse 8. Job 26 and verse 8. He, the Lord, bindeth up the waters in his thick clouds, and the cloud is not rent under them. This is what we were talking about a minute ago, a minute ago with the hydrologic cycle. The sun evaporates. It draws enormous amounts of water from the oceans. And this water vapor condenses into clouds. And, and it is in the, the clouds that are his clouds, by the way, 
that the Lord binds up the waters that will come down on the earth as rain and snow. And, and the clouds are not rent open or split open or broken up by the water they contain. That is a miracle. That is a miracle. Now, look at Job chapter 36. Job chapter 36. And look at verse 24. Remember that thou magnify his work which men behold. Every man may see it. Man may behold it afar off. Behold, God is great. We see his greatness in the creation. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Behold, God is great, and we know him not. Neither can the number of his years be searched out. Now notice what this great God does in verse 27. For he maketh small the drops of water. They pour down rain according to the vapor thereof. Again, this is a description of evaporation. Evaporation is small drops of water that the sun draws up from the ocean that the Lord makes so small that they are a vapor. And this vapor condenses into clouds, clouds in which the Lord binds up the water without rending the clouds at all. And verse 28 tells us what happens next. Which the clouds do drop and distill upon man abundantly. So here are all these verses about the hydrologic cycle. These, nearly 550 years before Solomon wrote about it in more detail and put it in just one verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 7. But 3,100 years before secular science finally caught up with the Bible. But remember... This hydrologic system is not just about water. Mr. Clauser said that this balance of the hydrologic system, the balancing of the cloud cover, acts like a natural thermostat for the earth's temperature. But what I want you to see is that he's not the originator of this truth. He's not the discoverer of this truth. Now, I want you to hold on to your seat. I don't want anybody leaping up. I want you to hold tightly to your seat. And I'm going to drag one foot up here. But I want you to look at Job chapter 37 and verse 16. This verse, if it doesn't raise the spiritual goosebumps on your neck, there's something wrong with you. Dost thou know the balancings of the clouds? The wondrous works of him which is perfect in knowledge. 
Think about the, the amazing words there. Dost thou know the balancings of the clouds? You mean the balancing of the clouds in the hydrologic system that acts like a natural thermostat on the earth's temperature? Is that what this verse is talking about? Folks, that is exactly what it's talking about. Dost thou know the balancings of the clouds? And they're just one part of the wondrous works of Him which is perfect in knowledge. Now, I appreciate research physicist John Clauser, but he's only coming to the conclusion, he's only confirming what God put in his word 3,500 years ago. This is why Al Gore and the UN's IPCC and the National Academy of Sciences and, and others build their models on the lie of a cloudless earth. It's the only thing that will work. That lie, a cloudless earth, is the only thing that will work in their models that will produce the results that they want to get. It's because they have an agenda. And their agenda is not protecting the earth. Their objective is absolute power. Absolute control over the lives of the people of this country. And the lie of climate change is the vehicle that they're using to achieve their goal. And because we haven't continued in the Word of God, think about it. We removed it from the public schools 60 years ago, three generations ago. And, and we began removing this book the King James Bible from the churches of this country at about the same time. Good News for Modern Man comes out. The New American Standard Bible comes out. The New International Version comes out. These are the, the versions that have replaced the King James Bible with the, the hiss of the serpent. Yea, hath God said. And because we've not continued in the Word of God, the people of this nation no longer know the truth. And they're believing the lie of climate change. And we are losing our freedom, just as the Lord Jesus said would happen. If you do not continue in my word, then you shall not know the truth and you will not be free. That verse explains so much of what is taking place in this country. But it's also... These things are also a sign of how near the Lord's return is. You know, the first sign of the last days. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, Pastor Kelly brought this out years ago, but never seen it before. Take heed that no man deceive you. And what's going to be the characteristic of the tribulation period? People are going to believe a lie. Well, folks, when we see that happening now, when we see the deception and we see people believing a lie, then how close are we to the coming of the Lord to the air? Because He's coming to the air before the tribulation. So these things are, are a way of telling us how close we are to His return. 
And I'll tell you something. It's better to be a climate denier. And that's what you're called if you don't go along with man-made climate change. It's better to be a climate denier than it is to be a truth denier, the truth of the Word of God. This is why we must contend, earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. The King James Bible. We must contend for it. We must contend for the truth that it preaches and proclaims and not compromise. Folks, we don't have anything to back down when we face these kinds of debates and people. We're the ones who have the truth. And so we can hold it forth without apology, no matter what the cost might be. These are precious things to to think about. And to let us know from this book that is the truth from the one who is the truth that we're standing for what's right. We're standing for the truth. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that we have not followed cunningly devised fables. That's what the people of this world are doing. We're following the truth of the Word of God. The more sure word of prophecy that you've given to us that we can rest our eternal souls upon, that we can proclaim to a world that is lost, that we can proclaim as the truth and to educate people around us, educate the children in this school about the truth from this book. We thank you for these things tonight and for the wonders of your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.